Hello there. You're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Wednesday, the 17th of May. Today, I'm joined by Georgia Marigi, who is a Watson's Daily Ambassador. Hi there, Georgia. How are you doing today? Hi, Peter. I'm well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, all good. All good. Um, So, um, which story did you decide to pick from today's edition of Watson's Daily? I wanted to talk about Boohoo today, the online fast fashion retailer, which just announced a loss of £91 million. Mm -hmm. And it's a story that's originally reported by The Times and The Guardian. Mm -hmm. So, Boohoo's been hit by an unfortunate combination of factors that's had a dampening effect on its profitability. Mm -hmm. They face supply chain losses, higher costs, and more cautious customers who have limited disposable income to play with in this cost of living crisis. And that's all contributed to the group's poor financial performance. Mm -hmm. But Boohoo's not the only one who's facing difficulties in this rather challenging trading environment. Last week, ASOS posted £291 million in losses for the Mm -hmm. first half of the year. That resulted in its share price falling 20%. Mm. I think what's really important to mention here is that for both companies, the high cost of returns has had a significant impact on their weaker figures. So Boohoo reported that more shoppers are returning items than they did before the pandemic particularly Mm. because people now are buying more fitted dresses and occasion wear rather than those lockdown comfort essentials like hoodies and sweats. And I'm guilty of doing that myself. Whenever I order from online retailers, I never know whether the item's going to fit quite right or Mm. if I even like the style. And so for me, the ease of free returns is actually what makes me press checkout in the first place. Mm. But competition has also ramped up in the retail space. China's online fashion giant Shein is absolutely dominating at the moment Mm. and it's continuing to grow. But we've also seen moves by Next and also Marks and Spencer to sell a wider array of brands online. M&S in March announced that it was going to increase the number of third party brands that it sells from 60 to 100, for example. Mm. And I think what's interesting here is that the chief exec of Boohoo, John Little, he actually remains quite positive about the outlook for the group. Mm. And obviously that's to reassure investors because he certainly doesn't want Boohoo's share price to plunge like ASOS's did. But it's, you know, they're saying they've got this new growth strategy that's going to focus on automation and building global brand awareness to help it bring it back to growth. So we'll see what happens. But it's tricky times. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's very interesting you were mentioning there about, you know, like M&S and things as well. I mean, I I think, you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while now will know or, you know, subscribe to Watson's Daily for a while will know that, you know, I, I, I'm very impressed with how M&S has been trying to do what it can to 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 you know to turn things around i mean it's it's been seen as being pretty dull and uninspiring stuff for quite some time <laughs> and yet now you know it, it, there's all there are all sorts of initiatives that are going on including you know um more third uh, third party brands because it wasn't really that long ago 
where there were no third party brands. Mm. Um, and I think that it just means it, you know, keeps things a bit fresher at M&S. Um, and it means that it is potentially or has the potential to be more multi-generational than, um, you know, uh, women in their in their 50s, you know, which it seems to turn out to be generally speaking mm. um but i mean <coughs> sorry you, you also mentioned the whole you know boohoo and asos with regard to the cost of returns um you know this is a this is something that that's affecting everyone um and you know and i think that obviously boohoo and asos are, are exposed to it given given that they are purely online mm-hmm. um well I say that they, they are, but I mean, obviously they've got brands that are not, although actually the brands that they've got, they, you know, they, they are effectively online as well. Um, so, I mean, I think the Boohoo, I think this is, this is, you know, something they're going to keep coming up against unless, uh, and I think I said this before, there is some kind of breakthrough in terms of sizing, mm-hmm. you know, how to make more, universal sizing or to somehow have some kind of you know personalized avatar where which can virtually try stuff stuff on um rather than you because that to me is yeah i mean apart from actually going into a shop and trying something on that's the only way that you're ever going to be able to to buy with confidence um because i think once you're confident i think confidence in this sort of thing is pretty fragile because yeah. i reckon once you order something it's the wrong size you you know and then you let's say you order something else and it you know let's say it's in the same size but it's also wrong you then think well i can't be bothered now you know because mm-hmm. i you know clearly that you know they haven't got my shape in mind so i'm not going to bother and whereas of course if you had some kind of you know avatar thing going on then it would mean that it would be reduced significantly because it is a waste i mean when you do get people like um these all these um sort of instagram uh influencers ordering massive hauls and then mm. just returning most of it it's a real nightmare for the for the retailers and they've got to they've got to address this and they've this has been a problem for ages and this is actually where uh companies like um primark do well this is why prime primark is kind of sitting pretty because it doesn't have that capability um the closest it's got to it is now the whole thing where but i mean i don't know because i i don't shop at primark but um i think that the you know on there you can now see or if you can't see now you will be able to see um let's say you've got an, you know it has all their items on there you'll be able to see whether it's in your local you know local primark yeah. um and then you can you can go there and you can you can try it on um that actually i think is has is proving now potentially to be a great decision because that gives you some internet capability yeah, some some online uh, capability, mm-hmm. but it also um, it it you know it it will it will also mean um, that they don't have to deal with the nightmare of returns because if you go in and you try stuff on, 
you're not you're not really going to walk out with something that doesn't fit you. Um, so so I don't know. So I mean, Boohoo, ASOS uh, are, are really struggling with it. I would have thought that um, Primark should do well out of of, their, of, of that. Um, but ultimately, at the moment, it's a question of how much can people afford, how much are they willing to to spend on new items of clothing yeah. in, a, in a cost of living crisis. Um, but then, if that's the case, then maybe they will be more likely to go to Boohoo, which is known for being cheap. Go yeah. to Primark, um, and um, yeah, you know they'll they'll go for they'll they'll go for stuff like that, and and Shein, of course. But yeah. the, the thing with Shein that worries me is the whole, well, there's two things. One is it's the rapidity of its expansion. Mm-hmm. That kind of suggests to me slightly dodgy. I, <laughs> I, I, so that's my default sort of thing. You think, yeah, that's, it has developed so fast. Is there something wrong here? Because remember, I mean, I know this is completely different, but um, in China, there's this, you know, this chain called Luckin Coffee. Mm-hmm. which just came out of nowhere and became um, Starbucks's biggest rival within a few space of a few years. So, um, but then it, it turned out that its, it's um, finances were a bit dodge um, and they overstated things, which helped them get access to stuff that they couldn't and finance that they shouldn't have been able to do. So I do wonder what's happening with Shein because with Shein you've got, um, you know, it's it's cheap, it's it's cheap, um, but also they got they've got so many lawsuits against them for yeah. copy for copying stuff, um, and they they it looks to me like they kind of don't really care. They for don't them, it's at almost, all. <laughs> yeah, and it's like oh well, that's just the cost of doing business, you know, and they just you know they presumably they got. They got teams of lawyers who, who just you know do as much as they can to delay, delay, delay. Hope that everyone is just going to forget about it and just carry on doing what they will do. But I wonder whether they will get caught out at some stage because what they're doing is not right. So yeah, yeah. not at all. And that's the thing we've got a lot of those in the fashion industry that are calling for boycotts at mm. the moment over st- like stolen ideas. Mm. I think there was one the other day, um, an Italian design. Mm. Giuliano Calza or something so there's that side of um, everything but also with Shein because it's even cheaper than Boohoo Mm. people will just order so much on these hauls and then even if it doesn't fit right or you don't like the style you don't like the colour you kind of just chuck it in the bin Mm. and that's that you don't actually go through the whole process of returning Mm. whereas with Boohoo and ASOS you're like okay it's based in, in the UK you can just go to the Royal Mail post it back it's free and that's fine. Mm. You know, an option, a solution for Boohoo partly could be introducing that online return fee like Zara did. Mm. But that's only going to reduce business costs to a certain extent. Mm. They've still got all those other factors um, taking a toll. So until macro conditions really improve for shoppers to start shopping again, mm. they're going to have, have a hard time of it. Mm. I mean, I think that um, there was something that... Uh... Um, I think it was Amazon introduced a while ago, which was they signed deals. It signed deals with uh, companies, uh, with, you know, with certain retail high street retailers. I think Next was one of them. Um, mm. 
and they said, well, you know, for convenience, Amazon customers will be allowed to change their goods rather than go to the post office and wait around and everything. What they can do is they can um, they can go into, say, a branch of Next and then hand the parcel over to them. And then the thing is, why would Next do that? Well, because the more people they get into the shop, the more likely they are going to get people buying stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, so so yeah. So anyway, it's all it's all um it's all good stuff, and um, you know, returns continues to be a problem. Yeah, big problem. But anyway, on to your story, Peter. What did you find interesting from today's Watson's Daily? Well, um, now I I'm going to talk about um what you know what I think is probably going to be seen by many as one of the biggest stories of today now uh, although i would say i would say under normal circumstances i wouldn't really talk about this because i don't think we've reached a conclusion yet and mm. the thing is it's all very well to sit around and think oh you know what might may or... so anyway um open eyes um <clears throat> sorry can't uh, open eyes um, chief exec sam altman um he was basically um you know uh, talking to the us senate subcommittee and interestingly he didn't he wasn't what you know under fire like most (laughs) like what generally tends to happen with um tech execs when they when they present in front of the this subcommittee um and the reason is despite the fact him being chief exec of OpenAI, which is of course right now at the at the forefront of ai developments with Mm -hmm. chat gpt um, he's actually, you know, uh, seen to be, as they say, it, well, they said, care, he, he cares deeply and intensely about the potential risks of AI. So it's not like he's on the defensive. He is actively saying, we want to be regulated. Mm. Now, that will obviously go down well um, with everyone because that is the general consensus that AI needs to be regulated um now the only thing is here is of course um it all depends on what regulations actually come in because it's all very well just to sort of go yeah yeah no we want it we want it we want to make sure we're doing the right stuff but then you know they could bring in stuff in and and you the ai people could turn around and go well i mean you know we did say bring regulation we didn't say we didn't say completely decimate our business which is what your regulations are going to do um you know so it will be interesting to see what the balance is going to be that's why like i was saying earlier you know i tend not to talk about stuff that really is this is a a relatively fluid stage so anything can happen Mm -hmm. um having said that you know it is um interesting that you've got the the uk so the the um a company and, and markets authority you've got the uh, MEPs who voted last week in um in you know in in Europe uh, for rules and guidelines and there's now you and you've got this as well at the moment in the US so everything's going on at the same time everywhere now i i still think you know that's that's fine and it's better than nothing but surely the best thing to do would to be to have like a a UN for 
you know equivalent for yeah. for this like a cyberspace agent you know the international cyberspace agency <laughs> which sounds very cool um and uh you know so you could have something like that where maybe they could create a central um central agreed rules and then each country could have potentially um a limited amount of variations um on that because i think that way would give everyone a bit of a roadmap it will give them an idea of parameters um and it will mean that you know developments can happen within that i mean ironically i do think that sometimes a lot of creativity comes from restriction now i say that is it like it's a bit like um (laughs) it's going to sound a bit strange this but a bit like a haiku right Mm -hmm. i mean haiku is very restrictive in terms of the creativity because it's got so many rules which makes it quite hard to express something in a very short space. But actually, because of those rules, you can end up with something beautiful. And so, you know, maybe in the same, maybe in the same way here, you know, if there are regulations, we may end up with, with some very interesting developments because of the rules. So, um, so anyway, so I think that this is, this is very much needed it's yeah. it's you know we need it yesterday um and i and i wish there could be a a coordinated international um effort for this because that's what it needs you know mm-hmm. it needs that it needs that kind of thing um and and yet everyone seems to be doing their own thing so obviously we'll see what happens i would have thought that whoever does the rules first and comes out with some actual you know concrete rules that will be used as a template for everyone else because well why why um it attempt to reinvent the wheel um mm-hmm. for every single country when you can get it done for them and it will ha- act it'll be there more quickly available more quickly and you can implement it quickly as well so yeah but i don't know what do you think well i mean i think the key issue here is that regulation is always that one step behind innovation Mm. so lawmakers they have to enter into these lengthy consultations first because they're not experts on the matters they're being asked to regulate yeah and so it takes time but because the pace of change with ai is so rapid and Mm. we're dealing with this tech that's able to self-improve there's a lot of interest there's a Mm. lot of investment i think regulators really need to step on the gas and try and expedite this consultation process Mm. while at the same time ensuring that they are making fully informed decisions as to how to regulate the industry Mm. and definitely by trying to get all the different regulators together so that they can work on guidelines um, for everyone that may help but the issue is actually getting them in the room together who's going to start the process Mm. probably the US because Mm. they always like to take the lead with things Um, And they've got a lot of interested parties in the AI industry, obviously. So Mm. we'll see. But yeah, yeah, definitely something that's needed ASAP. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, you know, I mean, I suppose there there needs to be rules um, come in. Um, I think that 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 will that is needed for, you know, that's needed for right now. Um, But obviously things are going to have to change. I mean, that's the thing. So first of all, to get the first load of rules in is going to be difficult. Mm. But then I think after that, there were, there obviously going to be more rules needed 
And so, um, you know, there's going to have to be some kind of certainty on that as well. You know, maybe that they're reviewed every year or every six months or something like that, because otherwise you'll then slide back into uncertainty because people will say, well, hold on a minute, you're changing the rules now. You know, you said this last week and now you're saying this. We, uh, we can't we can't invest for the future because we don't know what's going on. So I think there will be something of that nature will be needed to be incorporated is to say that, look, you know, these are the rules. Um, there will be regulation, you know, um, variations, um, but these rules will be, um, un, you know, uh, uh, up for review every year or every two years or five years or something like that mm-hmm. so that at least that way it gives companies a chance so um so yeah because it would i think it's un it's it's unfair to sort of say well you know here are a load of rules you've got to adhere to those oh and by the way they might change at any time yeah yeah you don't really want that so um so yeah but um but anyway it's a you know it's a very interesting um topic it's something which I have to say is a bit philosophical at the moment. Mm. I think that companies need to see something concrete and, you know, and then they can go from there. Um, but, uh, but yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyway, I think we'll, we'll leave it there, but um, thank you very much indeed, Georgia, for your, uh, for your insight today. Thank you, Peter, for having me. No problem. And thank you very much for everyone for listening. Um, I hope you, you know, found this informative um, and uh, we will see you again or see you or, you know, speak again uh, tomorrow. Um, so have, uh, have, a, have fun, whatever you're up to at the moment, and uh, we'll be back soon. Many thanks. Bye. Bye.